luckily at the university level, people start to find themselves and they, and they, and they find their voice. And those that have that inner drive, they, they allow it to manifest. And so, you know, we're, we're seeing incredibly driven and, and proactive students. Welcome to From the Dorm Room to the Boardroom, a podcast where we provide insights, tips, and inspiration for college students and young professionals so they can make a really successful transition from college life to the professional world and beyond. My name is Andy Malinsky, and I'm your host. I'm also a professor of organizational behavior and international management at Brandeis University's International Business School, where we record and produce this podcast. Okay, so our guest today is Ronit Avni, who is a tech and media entrepreneur and Peabody Award-winning producer. Uh, she was named a DC Power Woman in Tech and is the founder and CEO of Localized, which I think we'll talk a bit about today, a career tech platform that connects educated talent in emerging markets with global businesses, drawing on diaspora networks at scale. Super interesting. And this is how actually we met each other because I was very interested in her organization. Um, Previously, Ronit uh, founded and led the media organization Just Vision. Her work has won dozens of prizes, including the Puma Creative Impact Award. Um, She was named a young global leader of the World Economic Forum, a Halcyon Fellow, a Trailblazer Award recipient from the National Council for Research on Women. Um, Ronit sits on the jury of the Global Teacher Prize as well. She was born in Montreal, began her career at witness.org, and is on the Witness Advisory Council. Ronit, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me, Andy. So, so tell us about what you're doing now. Tell us about Localize. I think it's really interesting uh, what you're creating. And then we'll kind of go backwards and learn about your career and how you got from point A to point B. Sure. So Localized, as you mentioned, is a talent tech platform. What that means is we're focused on connecting companies that are looking to hire in emerging markets, places like the Middle East and North Africa or India, to talent and The way that we do that is we partner with universities in those markets whose schools may not have career services infrastructure, or they may not have alumni services infrastructure, or they may not have access to companies that are entering those markets. And we connect the companies to the schools so that they can um, access the, the talent, the students. And we make sure that the students have access both to potential employers, but also to industry insiders who can guide them. And the way that we do that is we tap into diaspora networks. So networks of um, Indians around the world or Tunisians around the world, Egyptians or Jordanians around the world who are working in the fields of the future, fields like medtech, edtech, AI, robotics, renewables, fintech, et cetera, so that the students are able to ask questions about the kinds of job openings that are out there in their language, from somebody who understands both where they're coming from, literally, and also where they want to go professionally. Great. And, and by the way, I probably should have told you that we have a lot of international listeners, so you might get hit up. Uh, <laughs> you might find some interesting people uh, from our listeners. So l- let's, re- let's rewind um, back, to, back to college. So I imagine you had uh, fully fleshed this organization out in college <laughs> and were just waiting to, to, to launch it. Is that right? <laughs> 
A hundred percent not, a hundred percent no, that was not the case at all. So, you know, I had a, um, I guess a lot of people had had uh, careers that were not necessarily ones that they envisioned. I had come to college after studying professional theater studies in Montreal. I had done a, a three-year professional certificate program, kind of the way that you would if you were going into something like nursing or you know, any kind of field where you don't necessarily need a BA. So I studied theater directing in Montreal, went back to school, thought I was going to pursue a career in theater directing and got hooked by political science. And so ended up majoring in political science. And uh, over the course of that period of time, started to think about how I could fuse my interests in a way that was creative and fulfilling and, and landed on the idea of combining human rights work with documentary filmmaking. And this was at a time that was pre-digital, right? So there were, we, you didn't have digital cameras. You, you, um, it was, it was a, a, or you didn't have video online, I should say. We were just moving from, from analog to digital. And everybody laughed at me when I said that I wanted to, to do that, except uh, a neighbor's nephew in Montreal who said, hey, have you heard about this organization called Witness? And I looked it up and it turned out at the time there were only a couple of entities putting video online. One was the porn industry. That was not of interest to me. And the other was Witness. And Witness was a human rights organization that was equipping people around the world with video cameras and working with them to train them to document abuses and then working strategically to use the footage that was captured to try to affect uh, legislative or policy change. Really interesting. And so so where did where did you go to college? I went to Vassar. Okay. So, so you... And you, and you had done theater in Montreal and then moved to Vassar. That's sort of an interesting change. How, how, just quickly, how did you find Vassar? Or how sure. did Vassar find you? Yeah, I had never heard of Vassar growing up. And, you know, Montreal, you don't really, you don't really think you're going to move to the States because it's so expensive in terms of the universities. Um, it happened that a lot of the professors that I had doing the certificate program, it's, it's called a CGEP degree in Montreal, there's a bit of a different uh, educational system. So high school ends in grade 11. Then you can either do a two-year pre-university program or a three-year pre-professional pro- uh, professional program. I did the three-year program. And a lot of my professors were going to be professors at uh, universities like McGill. So if I stayed in Montreal, I felt it would have been duplicative. I would have been taking similar courses from the same people. And so I started to look around to see if I could find a school that had financial aid for Canadians and that was of interest. And a friend of my, my sister's a very good friend had gone to Vassar. And it turns out that it, at the time it was one of only four universities that gave financial aid to Canadians in a generous way, the way that it gave it to Americans. So I had actually applied to a whole slew of schools, got into a bunch of them, schools like Barnard and, and others, but there was no financial aid and, and that wasn't a possibility for, for my family. Got it. And and by the way, I have to mention I've I've already heard you know a sister's friend, a neighbor. It sounds <laughs> like you 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 and it's it's not it's not surprising to me that you've created an organization that relies on networks, right? This maybe is is kind of baked into your life. Yes, uh, yes. So I, I've grown up with some great role models who know how to tap into people's potential and and ask uh, for help if you don't if you can't do something. Figure out who can who can do that. My mother was actually very skilled and is very skilled at that. If she can't do it, she finds somebody who can. 
<laughs> so, all right. So, so, so you're at Vassar, you're, you're at your, you know, your last year of college and you did tell us that you, you know, found witness and were sort of captivated by this idea of video online. How did you, can you just actually bring us back to your last year at Vassar though? How, what were your thoughts about career? You know, do, do you remember what, what that was like and, yeah. and where that brought you? Yeah, shockingly, I, I do actually remember. Uh, so, you know, there were a couple of organizations on my radar. Witness was definitely at the top. And I, you know, there were, there were really, there was no organization like it at the time. It was founded by musician Peter Gabriel. It had artists involved. It had tech, techies involved. It had uh, activists involved. And I, I should say my mom's a, a musician and my dad's an engineer. So Fusing left brain and right brain is something that I, I tend to look for because I'm, I'm somebody that uses both sides. And um, so Witness was really exciting to me. I applied at the time, they were still a project of what was then called the Lawyers Committee for Human Rights, now called Human Rights First. And uh, I applied, I applied to a number of organizations. I had done some internships. So one of the things that helped me a lot was that the summer before my senior year, I had gotten a fellowship to intern at a human rights organization overseas. And that was very helpful because it enabled me to, first of all, demonstrate that I was being proactive. I didn't do it to demonstrate I was being proactive, but I think in hindsight, from an employer's perspective, you know, I was very proactive about seeking out funding, seeking out that fellowship, uh, and was doing a lot of the work that Witness was doing in the field. And so I, I applied uh, there was no job opening at Witness that I knew of. And so I applied, uh, or I thought I was doing the right thing by applying for an internship. And I basically wrote to them and said, hey, I, I don't. it doesn't look like you're hiring at the moment. If you have any internships, I would love to take one. I can't afford to work for free. So I'd be happy to find a job in New York and then uh, volunteer for you. And because we weren't in a financial uh, situation where I could just intern uh, living in New York City. And uh, they wrote me back. And at first it was, it was somewhat of a uh, crisp response where they basically said, you know, no, we have no internships and, and something along the lines of, and you're late to email us. But then a few days later, or maybe a week later, I got another email that said, you know, actually we have a job opening. Uh, why don't you come in for an interview? And I think the first lesson uh, for me just entering the professional world there is, number one, you never know what's going on within a company or an organization. So just because something's not posted as an opening doesn't mean that an organization or company isn't thinking about their next hires or isn't dealing internally with a transition. And the second thing was, thank goodness that my responses were very uh, polite and amicable, even in rejection, right? Because when they first said, no, we have no no position. And, and by the way, you're late. I, I responded in a very positive and appreciative uh, and perhaps Canadian style polite manner. And so I didn't burn a bridge there. And so they were able to then come back and, and invite me to come in for the interview. Mm, interesting story. So I've got a bunch of questions for you about sort of you, you've got such interesting experience in so many different areas, sort of kind of leveraging your wisdom. But before that, can you just tell us a little bit about, was there any sort of path towards that early work at Witness to what you now have done in terms of starting up your most recent yes. um, company, yeah. Localized? Yeah. I, so I would say that what I got hooked on at Witness was the innovative use of technology and media for social change. 
and also the international dimension of it. So at Witness, I started, when I started, we were a project and we were only three people. Now the organization is, you know, multiples of that, much, much, much larger, its own independent organization. And so I was there at a very nascent and critical juncture, um, both to see what it took, because at the time the executive director, Gillian Caldwell, um, made the case to spin off the project into an independent entity and then had to build it. And I watched that process happen. And so I learned a lot, um, both uh, in terms of the systems of how you actually operationalize and grow something. But but I also really got hooked on, I worked with diaspora communities uh, or immigrant or expat communities from all over the world. I worked with professionals from all over the world. I um, We were also deploying technology and really... You know, it, it's funny because some of the things that we were exploring at the time of witness have have not yet fully come to fruition today in terms of what you, what we can do in terms of some of the video projections and uh, video installations in places like campuses and and interactivity. There was a lot of creative thinking going on in that realm, and witness was although that's not what we were doing. We were a hub, and so we had access to a really broad range of innovative institutes, thinkers, universities that we partnered with. I, to this day, maintain friendships with some of the university students who were some master's and PhD students who either worked with us or interned for us or volunteered for us. So I got exposure to many of the worlds that I'm working with today in that first job. And so I, you know, I know in the spirit of this podcast, I was thinking about the fact that your first job in some ways doesn't matter at all. And in some ways it matters a whole lot, right? Because uh, what you do at first may not be indicative of where you end up much later, but it's a very formative time. And so it's a time to either learn systems or either to build networks or to explore a discipline. And I had the good fortune of being able to do all three. Witness was a highly networked organization, very much at the cutting edge uh, and at the intersection of, of a variety of fields. So. Uh, I'm quite grateful for that as a as an entry point into this world. Sounds like networking is a big part of your story, both in terms of kind of creating opportunities for yourself and also for what you've ultimately built in this org- you know the organization that you've ultimately built. Can you just say a word about how networking works? Obviously, we sure. kind of know, know it's useful, but like, what do you literally do? Like, how do yeah. you network if you were teaching someone the basics? Yeah. We actually, on Localize, we have what we call a channel, kind of like a Slack channel around this question of le- leveraging networks. So, so I'll say two things, right? One, one thing about Localize is, in a way, it's the resource I wished I had had as a college student, right? So, we, we tend to, people tend to build things or make films for themselves, the stories they wish they had known, the, the, the systems they wish that they had had in place. So as, as robust as my network was, it had a lot of holes in it. And I wasn't exposed. There were so many fields that I didn't even know what they meant. I didn't even know they were options. Or if I knew what they were, I had a very narrow view of what they were and, and perhaps was dismissive that they would be uninteresting as fields, not fully appreciating the dynamism or creativity of those roles. So I think one of the things that I I love about what Localize does is we expose students to a really wide range of 
job opportunities and sectors and ways to spend your time. We have an upcoming webinar uh, in a number of weeks with an expert uh, who started out his career in engineering and now he specializes in algorithmic trading, right? And so the conversation is going to be, you know, what what the hell is algorithmic trading, right? What is that? And and is that a career? And what does that mean? Uh, you know, just just to keep an open mind around all those fields in terms of leveraging networks. The most important principles around networking is that at their heart, they're not transactional, they're relational, right? So you're, you're building, uh, you're establishing relationships with people. Um, you're trying to learn, uh, you're trying to be generous where, where you can, you're trying to be polite and respectful of people's time. So if you're a student, some of the best uh, networkers are those that may reach out and say, hey, hey, you know, Ronit or hey, whoever, I, I see that you're working on X. Um, I am looking to learn more about this field. Uh, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Could we jump on a 15-minute call or could we jump on a 30-minute call? Or can I take you out for coffee uh, when I'm in town next? Or something along those lines where you're really putting yourselves in the shoes of the person with whom you're networking. So I think number one is try to try to see it from their vantage point because chances are they're getting a lot of requests. Um, in a funny way, Localized was designed to enable our experts who might be getting pinged daily from friends and relatives of friends to be able to share their expertise in a place where they can share it once and then you can absorb all that they have to share, and then you can interact with them only once you've absorbed the, the fundamentals of their perspective on a topic. Um, so we're trying to solve for the, uh, and we, we have been solving for this, this uh, you know, request fatigue that sometimes happens uh, on the part of the people that you might be asking to sit down for coffee or to have a conversation with. So I, I would say, number one, you know, a clear ask. Number two, do your homework, right? So you want to make sure you, you look them up, look them up on LinkedIn, look them up on, uh, you know, if there's an organizational or company page, dig in a little bit, take some notes, right? It's not enough that you just check that LinkedIn page. Do, do a little bit of homework so that um, they don't have to run through the basics with you. And then uh, you want to go in with an ask, right? A clear ask. And that ask could be something as simple as, I don't know what algorithmic trading is. I'd love to learn. Or it might be, I'd love to volunteer for your organization. Or it might be, um, if I were to uh, apply for a job at a company like yours, uh, you know, what are three things that I, I should, um, uh, what three skills do you think I would need? Or something along those lines, right? And, and then once you have that conversation, make sure to take notes, bring a pen or some way to capture that information. And then the most important is the follow-up which is the thank you afterwards or the may I keep in touch or can I keep you updated or may I circle back to you and then do it. Um, uh, the people that, that actually keep a list or a database and follow up with people, that becomes critical. Hmm, interesting. Really some good concrete tips there. Um, so, so, so misconceptions, what misconceptions do you think uh, young people, college students have when entering the workplace? One misconception is that you're going to be told exactly what you need to do. You're going to get to your job and like university where you get the assignment, they tell you what book, what author, what publisher, what date. They might even tell you what bookstore or where you can buy the book or where you can download it. You, you know, there, there is sometimes an expectation that you're going to be given everything laid out for you. And if you just check those boxes and do what's asked, you're doing a good job. And if you don't hear anything uh, negative, then all is well. Uh, when in fact, the highest performers are the ones that they come in, 
they they ask a lot of questions. Who should I sit down with my first week? Uh, who who might I you know get to know within the organization? And and they do a lot of listening. Um, they take notes. They follow through. But after a few weeks of um, getting the hang of things and operating with humility, they start to notice areas of, that they could help improve systems or content and they and they proactively dive in right so you want to make sure that you're not doing something that's duplicative and you want to make sure that you're not doing something that has been tried and failed but beyond that uh, I think the best performers are the ones that don't just wait to be told they actually jump in and they offer to add value and they offer to demonstrate how they can add value and the more they do that the more their peers, both trust them, rely on them, turn to them, and you might be able to craft a whole new role on the basis of doing that. Interesting. Um, and, and as you're talking, I think to myself, there probably are a lot of cultural differences that impact people's abilities to do that. So for especially yes. for pe- people in your organization it, who, who are um, you know, localized and who are from cultures where there maybe was a greater power distance uh, in their culture where they grew up, where they were really taught to speak only when spoken to and follow directions and really, you know, wait until a boss or an authority figure tells them what to do. Uh, But you're talking about assertiveness and initiative. Um, How do those two things mesh in your experience? I think it's absolutely the case that there are some places that are more deferential to authority culturally, or at least in the K-12 learning space. We hear this all the time, that um, that in the K-12 learning space, you have uh, schooling in, in some places that is much more about rote learning. Uh, um, it's much more about just spitting out whatever the authority figure tells you to say. Luckily, at the university level, people start to find themselves and they, and they, and they find their voice. And those that have that inner drive, they, they allow it to manifest. And so, you know, we're, we're seeing incredibly driven and, and proactive students, but absolutely there is a, an element to that, right? Americans tend to be extremely non-deferential to age, right, to the elderly for good and for ill. I would say Canada a little less so, right? And um, I remember studying theater that 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 in, in Canada, if you're studying something like Shakespeare, it's very deferential to the tradition of how you do things, almost the apprenticeship model. There is a way to do things and a way not to do things. When I came to the States, suddenly it was people didn't bother to learn the history. They didn't bother to know these traditions. They just innovated, right? And somewhere in the middle was probably the optimal space where you you have the incredible creativity and the drive, but you also have an understanding of what you are, what you are moving away from, right? And so I, I think that it does vary from place to place, uh, style by style. I think I think the the, the big challenge is um, if you're somebody who just goes in guns blazing to actually do some listening and and really have a, you know high emotional intelligence high EQ of listening to what what are your colleagues saying what has been tried what worked what didn't but then also um, for those who don't have a um, a lot of a sense of entitlement in terms of being proactive to feel empowered that um, just because something has been done a certain way doesn't mean it's the best way to do things and doesn't mean that it's it actually was a conscious decision to do it that way. It might have just been a default choice uh, several years back and then and then a whole legacy of actions emerged as a result. Do you remember anything from college? Well, I guess I could stop there. <laughs> do you remember any- <laughs> that would be a question for me. Um, but do you remember anything from college that 
that really ended up being particularly useful for, for what you do now? Because you, you, you did yeah. study political science, but then you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, what we learned in college wasn't necessarily so helpful later, later, later down the road. How about for you? You know, what I studied in professional theater studies, so in this pre-college, this um, uh, CEGEP, I studied improv. And I would say that I, I've learned more life lessons and more management lessons through that program than I did in all my years at Vassar, though I loved Vassar and it was a wonderful place. Uh, you know, improv is amazing. And many, many people will say this because if you, if you have to get up on stage with other actors and people are throwing curveballs at you, right? They're, they're throwing out ideas from the audience of things that you need to do. And by the way, I hated improv. It's not like I was especially good at it or loved it. I didn't, I hated it. But in hindsight, it was probably the most valuable class that I took because there's a principle in improv uh, called accept, or uh, some people call it yes. And, and the idea of it is that whatever actor, whatever idea is thrown to you from an audience or an actor, doesn't matter how inane it is, you can't just ignore it, pretend it didn't happen or say no, because then the whole thing stops and crashes. So you have to find some way to integrate that idea, even if you disagree with it, and come up with something better as a result. And it's, those are muscles that need training because later for things like brainstorming, for working in teams, for managing crises, those become essential skills. And, and they are essential skills when we start talking about the future of work. So I would say that, that actually the theater training piece was incredibly instructive. I had one voice teacher who used to walk in to class and he would say, he would kick off if somebody came in and they were late or they had an excuse for not getting the work done. He would kick off and just say, don't bore us with your insecurities. And it was harsh, but it was so right. It was so true that, that people were, were, no one was interested in the excuses. You know, you, you either got it done or you didn't. And if you didn't, you had to get up there and just deal with it. And, and I think that all of that was incredibly valuable training. I think, I think theater should not just be, and I, I'm not dogmatic about this, but I, I think that things like improv classes are valuable no matter what discipline you're pursuing. How about mentoring? Um, have you, you've talked a lot about networking and building relationships, and I guess mentoring is one step more. Tell us a bit about your experience with mentoring, having had mentors perhaps, being a mentor, any words of wisdom around this topic? I think that it's essential, it's essential to think about, you know, these days we talk about career community, right? This idea that you're going to, you're not just going to have one mentor in your life, right? There are going to be all kinds of mentors. There's some mentors who are there for a particular stage or a particular challenge you're dealing with. There's some mentors who are helping you think about your life trajectory and choices. There are other mentors that might be um, discipline specific. Uh, I, I'm a big proponent of building out those relationships. Even if you don't formally refer to them as a mentor, it, it can be informal. It's understood. It's implicit and understood. I've certainly mentored I would say at this point, um, dozens of, of people, some where it's incredibly gratifying to see you know, people that I, that I managed or that I hired or that I led and um, see them going on to lead organizations, to found organizations, uh, to go off and become either filmmakers or activists or in the tech space. Um, it's wonderful. So I, I would say that keep, keep those people updated, right? Even, even five or 10 years later, because there's a lot of 
um, they're rooting for you. They're really, really cheering for you. And, and then if you're privileged to have those people around you, make sure to, to pay it forward with other people. That's, that's really the best way to, the best way to thank a mentor is to succeed for yourself and to then help other people. How do you find one? <laughs> yeah. Well, so if you're, you mean as a college student? Well, as a college student or as a young professional, I mean, there's, yeah. there's, there's networking, but then there's right. mentoring I, yeah. is a different level of commitment. I, you know, so, so the, the, so the funny thing is, is that's a lot of what, you know, on localized, a lot of the experts that we bring onto the platform internally, I know it sounds like jargon, but we call them proximate role models um, because it's this idea that if you see somebody who's similar to you, who is doing work that you aspire to do, then you, you can say, wow, if that person can do it, maybe I can too. And I'll say personally that, um, that I, that worked for me on several occasions where I found out about somebody similar to me going for a fellowship and getting it right. And then me starting to think, Hey, what would I do with that fellowship? If I applied, what would that look like? And then actually applying for it and getting it. And that was actually, um, that helped me to launch my first organization. So I would say, look around, you know, mentors are, are, are really important, but, but so are these proximate role models, these people where you look at them and you think, Hmm, that person could do that. Maybe I can too. And, and you don't have to think of them as a mentor necessarily, but sitting down, having a phone call with them, having coffee with them, taking them out for coffee, go for a walk. You know, some people you can say, Hey, you know, how do you commute to work? Uh, I've had mentor sessions where I've actually, somebody met me at my office. I said, if you're up for a walk, you can walk with me as I, I have a 40 minute walk home. Uh, let's, let's do it. And so, or I'll go running with people if, if I'm really uh, busy. Right. So you can find ways to ask people to have those conversations. But the first thing is to look around and say, hmm, who's doing something interesting? And then who's doing something interesting where I could credibly imagine maybe pursuing a path like that and then reaching out? One final question for you. And, and I know you're a very busy and productive person. Um, <laughs> how about a productivity tip? <laughs> anything that you can share with us? And I mean, it really could be anything. It could be a, so, something that, that you do on a daily basis, it could be a tool you use, anything. Yeah, I would say what I just mentioned, these walking meetings, right? Get from point A to point B and make that productive, right? So my commutes are are productive. I, I make sure that my commutes, either I'm on a call, I'm taking a walk with somebody, or I, I'm getting something done that I need to, depending upon what mode of transportation I'm taking, right? So um, make sure that your commutes are, are filled. Uh, that would be one. And then, you know... Making sure to block out, I, I would say calendars are essential. This sounds very obvious, but I guess when you're in college, you don't necessarily hear some of this, right? I live on Google Calendar, right? And, and I have to block off chunks of time uh, for when I want to get certain things done. If I know I, I need to do some deep thinking about something, I want to make sure that I've blocked off a morning to be able to do that. And then I, I can um, turn off all notifications during that time in order to dive deep. That's a great point. And one of my mentors actually um, used to uh, make appointments with himself. That, that's that's what he that's what he uh, called it. So it's a it's a great tip. Hey, thank you so much for for being a guest. Um, if people want to find more about you or your organization, where can they go? Yeah, so uh, I'm on LinkedIn, so you you can find me there, Ronit Avni, and then localized. You can also find me there. So so it's localized dot world, and it's L O C A L I Z or Z E D localized dot world. And, uh, and you can find me there as well. Also on Twitter, Ronit underscore Avni. Sounds great. Thanks so much. 
Thanks so much, Andy. Take care. Thank you for listening to From the Dorm Room to the Boardroom. If you're interested in learning more about the work that I do and helping people step outside their comfort zones and transition successfully into the professional world, please visit my website, www.andymolinsky.com. That's A-N-D-Y-M-O-L-I-N-S-K-Y.com. And also feel free to email me directly at andy at andymolinsky.com with any feedback or ideas for guests for future podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Brandeis University's International Business School. By teaching rigorous business, finance, and economics, connecting students to best practices and immersing them in international experiences, Brandeis International Business School prepares exceptional individuals from around the globe to become principled professionals in companies and public institutions worldwide. Thank you so much for listening.